Ezekiel chapter 39. Uh, last week, and one of the things uh, I, I always think, man, what did you guys capture out of what um, we had gone through? Uh, and now I'm trying to wrap this all up that we've spent five, six weeks on. And uh, this prophecy, 2,600-year-old prophecy uh, that Ezekiel gives regarding Gog, Magog, and the coalition of nations, and the watcher nations, and all those who protest, and, and uh, the outcome, and how the battle goes, and God's intervention, God shows up, God does all the work. And uh, last thing we left off with last week, which I really hope you caught, was from Ezekiel 10, and 11 is we had a picture of God's glory in relationship to the temple. And Ezekiel got to see a vision and there were three steps. Does anybody remember that at all? See, I was mostly asleep last week while preaching and because, uh, you know, only a couple hours of sleep. So I just have to trust God got the word out and uh, that you captured something. Does anybody remember the picture that Ezekiel gave us of what was happening regarding God's glory and the temple. It left it. And did it just do it in one fell swoop and gone? Or what did we see? Gradually, step by step. And one of the things I hoped you captured from that is in chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, uh, God's glory moved from the holy place, which was the holy of holies, moved to the threshold of the courtyard, and then in chapter 10, verse 10 to 18, I mean 18 to 19, it moved from the threshold to the east gate, and then chapter 11, 22 to 24, it moved completely out of the temple, moved up to the mountain of above the temple, and uh, that picture of God's grace, movement by movement, there, there was a, or God's glory, moving piece by piece, out of the temple, first the sadness of that, that Ezekiel would have felt, um, knowing that God had left the place where he had chose to put his name, and what that represented for Israel as a nation. And in fact, God, we saw, uh, would send Nebuchadnezzar down. Nebuchadnezzar would actually burn the temple down. He would take all the fixtures and all the gold and all the... Uh, service instruments out of the temple and he would transport most of uh, Judea into captivity and they would spend the 70 years in captivity. And Ezekiel, uh, the weight of this vision, watching piece by piece, but underlying that is the other part of God's grace that we get to see is that God incrementally moved and at each step there was an opportunity for Israel to do what? Repent. God gave them and continues to give them opportunity to repent. And as we look at the vision of Ezekiel 38 and 39, the prophecy and what's going to happen, God's intervention, the factor that comes up over and over again is that God says, and then you will know that I'm the Lord. And my holy name will be set apart. It will no longer be made common. It no longer be cast aside with other gods, little g's. And that picture is really important. Israel seemed to just rush headlong to the fall. And even today, the majority of Israel is, um, they don't believe in a God at all. 
They're atheistic for the large part. There is a clump of the Chabad, which are the ultra-Orthodox. There's some who are churchy kind of folks and the Reformed and the um, other synagogues that meet. But the, the vast majority of Israel doesn't, doesn't follow God at all, doesn't have any respect for God's name. There's a huge population of Israel's people, of Jews in uh, New York City, eight to nine million people, almost as many are as in Israel itself, the land. And uh, they are by and large uh, just buried into American life, American politics, American way of life and the destruction that our nation is running headlong into. In Haggai, we get a little picture, a parallel of what we see happening in Ezekiel 39. And I think it was appropriate. There's some things that happen and you might've got all caught up in Zerubbabel and Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest and all that stuff. But in verse three, he says, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? And then God tells Zerubbabel, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of the hosts. And in this place, I will give peace says the Lord of hosts. Haggai captures a, a view of what God will do and is going to do as we see it in Ezekiel 39 is God is going to first make sure that everyone, Israel knows that he is the Lord and that all the nations will know. He is going to magnify himself and sanctify or set apart himself and he will be known in the eyes of many nations is verse 23 of chapter 38. And then, God, we go through the whole process, what we talked about last week's, uh, about the aftermath and the cleanup. It's interesting to me, by the way, uh, just in a side note as we talked about this, did anybody hear anything in the news in the last week or so about chemical, nuclear, and radiological weapons or biological weapons? Uh, where's that possibly going on? Yeah, and what's the other side of that? Russians threatening it, Ukraine is on the receiving end potentially, and what are we doing? Well, we, we actually have now said, well, if they do that, we're gonna help them prevent that. And uh, so those words, but come to the forefront is something now that Ezekiel captures as a potential to happen in a war is that someone would actually use those kind of weapons that would require the kind of cleanup that Ezekiel describes, as I've told you last week, that our 
tech manuals for the army dealing with nuclear, biological, and chemical welfare, welfare, warfare, require cleanup. Don't laugh. I'm tired. <laughs> welfare, warfare. I was having like an argument with myself about that. I guess it's the same thing when you're cleaning up. It's the welfare of the post-warfare. But we saw just an amazing thing. How could Ezekiel describe something that has never happened in his day? How could he describe a process that would be foolish and unnecessary in their day? They didn't have chemical, nuclear, biological weapons. They didn't need to have zones and hot zones and special crews go out and clean up and walk around and tag stuff so that a pickup crew could come back up later and pick up the remnants and the pieces that had been picked clean by the birds and the animals that God sent to scavenge during the seven-month period. It's an amazing thing when you look at God's word because there is within that uh, a prophecy that makes no sense in Ezekiel's time but makes perfect sense as we see our world at this time and we see the weapons that are potentially going to be used or may be used in a war that's happening now. A prelude, a hook in the jaw, if you would, that turns the nations from the north headed to where? Israel. And isn't it interesting as this goes along this, we're in like 30 days of the conflict or just a little bit longer than that. Uh, that we're watching from the sidelines and we're protesting, uh, pretty much like it's going to happen in Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, is when the nations, got, Magog moves out of the north and joined up with the other nations. Uh, there's the protesting nations that stand by on the side and protest. And there's the potential for the intervention that's going to be required and the cleanup that's going to be required as Ezekiel lays it out for us. But isn't it interesting... That one name keeps popping up that is geographically nowhere near Ukraine or Russia or the United States. There's one little name of a little tiny country that's down there in the Middle East. Israel. Yeah, and it keeps popping up. Is that, like, how does that come out in the news? How, does that come, how is Israel a factor for what's going on up in the north? How could they play any part of that? This little tiny country, you know, the size of Rhode Island or whatever it is. It's just this tiny little place. How in the world can that be a focal point while all this crazy stuff is going on up in Ukraine? How can that be a focal point? Israel's also nuclear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nuclear, they have all kinds of stuff. We've always had it, and that's probably what's kept a lot of the uh, nations away from besides God. Because the Six-Day War, if you've ever read about it, if you've ever read about in, uh, Israel's war in 1948, if you read any of that stuff, you come away and you go, God absolutely intervened. And since 1948, God has been bringing the Jews back to the land and restoring the land. Well, you know what? God's word said that would happen. It's right here. And there will be a time, and it's interesting, there will be a time that preludes this prophecy coming to pass that requires Israel to be living in peace, requires them to be living outside without walls, without uh, bars and gates around their villages, and we see all this coming together. But I want to focus on a phrase that uh, Glenda read, verse 6 out of Haggai, and uh, it's echoed throughout the Bible, so I'm going to pass out some verses for you to look up, so you have to do a little bit of work. Um, so who wants to uh, look up Isaiah 13, 13? Who's going to get that one? Glenda. That's good. We have one volunteer. Thank you. Uh, Joel 316. 
Who's going to get that one? Kathy's got that one. Okay, Haggai 2 6 and verse 21. Go ahead. And then Hebrews 12 26. Don't all leap up at once. Go ahead. There you go. And Revelation 16, 17 through 21. Okay. Okay. Fast or slow? Just again, just the normal. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17 to 21. Okay, whoever has Isaiah 13, 13, go ahead and read it for us. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the, of the Lord God Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Okay. Wow, it's going to shake something. It's going to tremble. It's going to get with it. Okay, Joel three sixteen. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Hmm. Wow. Haggai 2.6 and 2.21. One of those I just read. 2.6? Yeah, go ahead. Read it again. For the Lord Almighty says, in just a little while I will begin to shake the heavens and the earth. And okay. the oceans too. Verse 21 as well. Yep. Hebrews 12, 26. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. Okay. And Revelation. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets for God, has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Did I read the right one? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't I was chasing along trying to find because it... it oh, that was really good. That was really good because there's a lot in that one right there. But uh, perhaps God had you read that one instead for the moment. That was just an interlude. I started to like wonder halfway through, like, I don't hear shaking. <laughs> uh, chapter 16, verse 17 to 21. <laughs> 
Yes, it is. Very good. Uh, how much does a talent weigh of silver? No guess? 100 pounds. So a hailstone. Now, if you get in Texas, they get some hail down there. And uh, they get like half inch, three quarter inch. They don't even, you know, they don't even count it if it's not half inch. But a 100 pound hailstone. Now, we read in Ezekiel 38 and 39 when God intervenes, uh, what were those things that happened again? Um, there was a great earthquake. <laughs> I got the easy one. And then what else? There was hail. There was, yeah, great hail. And then what else? There was thunder. Yeah. Oh, wait, was that the first one that I read, the wrong one? No, 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 no. What else was there? God's intervention. As Magog nations come, the coalition comes against Israel. God intervenes back in Ezekiel. And there's a huge earthquake. And there's hail. And then there's other stuff that happens all at the same time. Fire. Remember that? Brimstone comes down. Flooding rain. There's all those things. God uses a accumulation or a, a clump of natural events and in a supernatural sense to destroy the armies that are coming against Israel. And it's interesting that that is repeated throughout Scripture in multiple places. Hebrews especially uh, talks about when God spoke from Mount Sinai, when he gave the law, the mountain shook, the thunder was on top, the cloud sat on top, uh, the people couldn't touch the mountain for fear they would die. And they would if they touched the mountain. God said, don't do it. And if any animal ran toward it, it was to die. Uh, but it, it was such a sight. And when God began to speak, he only got 10 words out. And that was the first 10 commandments. And the people said, we don't want to hear any more. Talk to Moses directly. We don't want to hear the rest. He only got through the first 10. And the conviction of their sin in the presence of God in relating that to the people in Exodus, you look at 19 and 20, and you see what happened. The people are like, no, no, quit talking. We don't want to hear anymore. We're going to die because of God's power and his presence and his might. Uh, God's going to up that. God's going to bring that in a higher sense. And we see that repeated prophetically throughout God's word and focused in here in this battle that we see. Now, as we head back to Ezekiel chapter 39, we'll try to wrap this up. Verse 22. So the house, well, let me 21. And I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God from that day forward. 
The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hands of their enemies and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanliness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. If you were to ask the average person right now in America today uh, what, and ask them about Israel and their history and their possession of the land, what would be the average response you think you would get from people in America today? About Israel? Yeah, and the land they live in. What do you think the response you would get? I'm not talking about Bible-believing people. <laughs> I'm talking about the average people, because we are not the average in America. They wouldn't know anything about it, or they would hold another view that's become prominent in these last days. That they're the people who took the land away from the Palestinians. That's the view, is that they've stolen the land from the Palestinians. And it doesn't matter, uh, there, it doesn't matter that there is no historical link, there is no biological link to the people who are in Palestine today, to the people that would have had the land in that day, the Philistines. There's no uh, blood trace that runs back through. They've done huge uh, DNA studies of the people in Palestine. And they come from Arab countries and they come from all different countries, but they don't come from the nations that occupied that area that God gave Israel as their inheritance when he sent them into the land. They're not Philistines. They're not Sidonians. They're not uh, from Tyre. They're not the people that inhabited that land back then. But the average view, in the new, especially in the news media, this would be the held view is that Israel is this country that has inappropriately taken the land and they're persecuting the poor uh, Gazians and the Palestinians and uh, they're stealing the land from them. That's the view that you would find prominent. But you know what? God says, and we just read it, we just heard it. God says everybody's going to know that Israel's history happened because he punished them. He both gave them the land and then he spanked them and sent them out of it for a while. And then he brought them back to it and he's brought them to the place it will be to be the place of peace that they're dwelling in peace, but without the knowledge of God. And then as a result of what happens in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you know, it's going to change is that they're going to know, everybody's going to know, all the nations will know why they're there how they got there, why they got kicked out, why they got brought back, God says everybody is going to know that and that it's because of what he's done according to what they've done. Verse 24 again, according to their uncleanliness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. The world will no longer uh, just wonder about why this little tiny country is always in the news, about why this little chunk of land is so important, even though up until 2010, it really had no natural resources that seemed to make any sense on the world market. Now, of course, we know they have natural gas. Now they've discovered oil up in the West Bank area. So we see that they've moved to a new state of prominence. But how is it, again, that a little country... Um, 
so few people can be such an obstacle for the nations of the world? How could they be such an enticing target for the nations that will be collating or coming together against them in the time and the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39? Uh, these are questions when we go to God's word that God's word answers for us because they failed to honor God's law because they failed to keep what God told them to keep. God said, you're going to get a time out. I'm sending you to Babylon. You're going to send, send 70 years there. And he tells Daniel, he says, Daniel, you're, you're not going to get to go back. You've come as a young man. You've seen the vision. You've seen what I'm going to do in the last days. He says, uh, I want you to write that down and hold on to that. But you're going to stay here and you're going to die here. And you're going to die in Babylon. You're not going to get to go back. But don't worry, I've got it covered. I've got it handled. It's going to be taken care of. And Daniel, of course, gives us a prophecy of the last days all the way through the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, that the Lord returns and sets this judgment, the final judgment against Satan and all of his angels and all those who have stood against him and the judgment, the great white throne judgment that separates them into hell for eternity. And Daniel gets to see that. Daniel gets to write about that chapter nine. Okay, so let's continue on a little bit. Uh, verse 25, therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive anymore. And I will not hide my face from them anymore. For I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Is there anything within that that gives you hope? How so? In what God deals with Israel, in what he's put them through, I mean, some people look at the Bible and they read some of the Old Testament and they're like, wow, God's mean. God's just just big bully. He's just picking on people. He's just making them fight each other. He's just a big, mean, angry God. Thunder and lightning. That's all they see out of God. Well, he's saving his people. Why can't he save us or whoever the believers are? His mercy, his mercy. is incredible. Because after all they've done, after they've rejected him, after they've turned to the Canaanite gods and the Molechs and the Shamash and Asheroth and Baal, and after they've, they've thrown their children in the fire, and after they've committed just incredible, terrible things uh, against God, and they've forgotten God, and they've, they've turned their backs on God, do you see him abandoning them? That's the incredible thing here. Of everything that we see happening, God is doing because of his love that he set on Israel, that he put on them. And we're reminded in scripture, Paul tells us in Corinthians, he says, I've given you Israel as an example. 
He says, you're watching. So what we see of God's work in them is a reminder of God's work in us. When we turn against God, go ahead, Paul. You got something hot there. Your hand jumped up high. <laughs> Kathy and me, we had an experience. We were buying a car from a fellow that apparently he was in Israel and a war started or something. And he was explaining to us how the hairs of his arm and stuff was standing up. You know, it was the spirit of the Lord that was giving them the bones to be able to fight for that nation. Mm -hmm. You know, the spirit of God. And he probably wasn't a born-again believer or anything, but we, we, we could understand the way he explained it while we were in the car, uh, um, that the Spirit of God was upon those people, the people in Israel, even though they weren't born again, that God was using the Holy Spirit to give them power and strength and wisdom and all that to fight that war that they were in at that time, in modern days. You know? Yep. It's interesting as I look at this because I see um, two steps, basically. A lot more than two, but two major steps. One, Israel is so far from God that they have to be reminded that he is God. And that is in a uh, sense of there is one God. There is uh, all the other deities that they have placed their time, effort, and wasted their uh, resources on have no power whatsoever. The idols of stone, the idols of wood, the idols of flesh, the idols of sin, none of those have power. And God demonstrates that in an incredible way. But what's missing in it and what's coming, Ezekiel's prophecy brings us to the forefront of what's gonna happen when they're face to face with Messiah. And it's dealt with elsewhere in other prophecies, Zechariah, when they see and there will be an incredible sense of grief among the people of Israel that have rejected Messiah when they look upon he whom they have pierced, when they see their Savior. Here they're coming to understand that God, the Creator, God, the God that chose Israel, that sustained Israel, that carried Israel, that was on the mountain, that gave the law, that gave them the understanding of his power and called them to obedience, who gave them the choice. He stood in between two mountains, Jerusalem and Ebel, and he says, you make a choice. He says, if you obey my commandments, if you do what I've told you, he says, I will, on this hand, I will bless you, and I will make the land productive, and I will bring, you will have your children, you won't have disease, and, and your enemies won't come against you, and the wild animals won't come against you. He says, but on the other hand, if you turn from me, I can guarantee you here's what's going to happen. And there will be disease and there will be war and there will be struggle and there will be sickness. There will be captivity and you won't be productive. You won't be fruitful. God gave them a choice. And you know what they did? They chose to ignore God. They chose, but you know what? He never threw them away. And that's, a, that's hope for us is to understand is God is an incredibly patient God. God is an incredibly merciful God. God and grace, just at the very definition, grace is something, unmerited favor. It's something you don't deserve. It's something you can't earn. And yet God has poured that out. And by doing it in such a visible way on Israel, in such a world stage front, the whole world's going to come to understand who God is. But there's another step. And that's understanding Christ as the Messiah. Understanding God's son is the one that God promised, the seed that was promised in the Garden of Eden. 
Um, we left off with the verse, God says, I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel. Let me take you to Joel uh, chapter 2. And we read out of chapter 3, verse 16, about uh, shaking the earth. But let me bring you to Joel 2, 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your spirit sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of that great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Now, that's prophecy in Joel. Uh, can anybody think of a time when Jesus walked on the earth, shortly after he walked on the earth, that this, came, this passage came up anywhere? Anybody have any ideas? No? Okay. Where are you at right now? I mean, physically, where are you at? Church. Oh, church. Church. And um, where did the uh, model of church kind of come up? Any ideas? So, after the resurrection. Yeah, we're, we're hemming in on it. Oh, we're getting closer. But what happened? The Holy Spirit came. Yeah, Acts chapter 2. The very first sermon of the New Testament church, of which we're a part, doing what Christ called us to do, receivers of his Holy Spirit, operating in his power, going and telling. Y'all that stuff familiar? Oh, wait, maybe you're thinking the other kind of church. Potlucks, social club, hanging out, uh, exhilarating sermons, invigorating musical worship with talented musicians, and coffee in the lobby. Is that what you were thinking, or were you thinking the other? <laughs> well, Acts 2, uh, that's where that is, and Peter actually stands up. Peter, remember the guy that denied Christ just 50-some days before? No, no, I don't know that Jesus guy. And amazingly, God's mercy, there again, God's mercy, he, he brought him back from that low point. Now, you know Peter had to be low. After the crucifixion, uh, knowing that Christ, it says while they were in the courtyard, Peter's denying and he's cursing. He's trying to sound like the world. He's trying to sound really cool, like he ain't like these people, like these Christian people, like these Christ followers. He ain't not like them, even though he's a disciple. They said, hey, you're one of those disciples of Jesus, aren't you? Oh, no, no, no. And he throws out a couple, I don't know what Galilean curse words sound like. I don't want to know, by the way. Let's not practice any. Anyway, I heard enough every day. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, and Christ looks at him. Doesn't say anything but looks at him. He'd already told him, Peter, before the cock crows 
three times. He says you're going to deny me. Go ahead, Glenda. Um, I would, we were studying this in one of my one of the Bible study thing classes I go to, and when they talk about calling down curses, yeah. One of the footnotes was that this was the legal way in that time to exonerate yourself or try to exonerate yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. By yeah. Bringing down curses that you'd be. Um, it's it's a way of like uh, showing your um, like how serious you are, like uh, you know. Well, let let the mountain fall on me if it uh, if I'm not true. It is trying to set yourself, which is why Christ elsewhere reminds the disciples. He says, "Swear not by heaven or earth or anything on it." Don't you know who are you? You're not the creator. You didn't make it, so you think you have control over it? Uh. Uh-uh. So he just says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. You know, brings it down to real simple things. But uh, yeah, that was a way to somehow show your uh, innocence in the matter or your sincerity about whatever you're speaking about. There is so much that is coming together in the end days. And I believe we're on the cusp of those end days and moving at a high rate of speed towards those end days. Uh, There is so much going on in our world. Um, And at the same time, the movements of nations, the movements of those groups of individuals who will, I think, come together in the last days as we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39, an incredible prophecy just for the fact that A, it's never happened before. The particular coalition of nations has never happened before. But right now, all those nations are coming to a collective association just as has to happen for this. The association between Russia, Turkey, and Iran. The fact that Iran as Persia had never uh, come against Israel on Israel's land to fight or to overthrow them ever in history before. And now Iran seems fixated. They are the proxy, uh, they are the suppliers to all the proxy groups, Hamas, Hezbollah, and that are against Israel right now, throwing rockets every day. Those don't come from any other nation. Uh, We see an interesting thing just happened this week. Saudi Arabia, one of our allies, uh, who is not a coalition nation of Magog and Gog. Uh, Saudi Arabia seems odd that they're out of the mix. But what was interesting is on their southern border, Saudi Arabia has been concerned for some time, and the United States provided them a bunch of missile uh, batteries, uh, Patriot missile batteries. Those are the ones intercept big missiles that are shot into the country. And we put them down there. Well, because... Saudi Arabia didn't align with the way the United States thought they should align. We didn't tell them, but we just moved them. We took them back and moved them somewhere else. And Saudi Arabia discovered this, and suddenly their southern border is wide open, and they don't have the defenses that they were relying on for those borders, and they're extremely concerned about that. And uh, who's south of Saudi Arabia? You have to do a little geography and figure that out. But... uh, you go down south a little bit. Who's that nation that Cush and Put? 
you know, that are there? Does anybody know those nations? Ethiopia, Sudan, those are in the southern area there. Uh, it's interesting. I saw a couple things that uh, also came to interest. Uh, does anybody, I don't know if anybody paid attention um, how things have been. Uh, it's, it's just amazing as you talk about traveling across the United States in this time period and the things we've gone through through this whole COVID uh, incident. And um, it's all kind of died off, right? You know, you pretty much go anywhere. You don't have to worry about things and uh, the way it was. And you're not locked down. So that's all behind us, right? Okay. We saw an exercise in control that seems to have failed because they wanted to institute a much higher level of control on a global scale uh, that came from the World Health Organization and flowed down through the CDC and into the individual nations. It was the first time we've seen a, a global uh, effort to coordinate and to bring together control. And what's interesting is even as this is the pressure has died off within the United States and many other countries have just said, hey, we ain't doing anything anymore and walked away from it, uh, it hasn't stopped at all. Uh, there is an active effort right now, uh, the World Health of Organizations with the UN, to institute an electronic digital identification and a single entity identifying everybody in the world with a unique digital identifier number. Has anybody ever read about in Revelation, there's the Antichrist and he has like a mark, the number of a man. Yeah, all that information is going on. It's interesting. This is a first uh, ever pushing to do that. It comes parallel with a effort as well to institute, and the United States is moving forward on this at this time, is to institute a digital currency and remove all paper and change money within the world. Uh, we've seen the great flux that's happened because of Ukraine, Russia. Uh, we saw Russia and China join together and go off the dollar standard in, in terms of uh, transaction at a national level and the interchange of money on a national level. And we've seen that go away uh, because we tried to put sanctions and so Russia said, fine. So they talked to a nation that only has like 2.3 billion people in it or something. And they said, hey, how about we work with that money exchange? And so they switched over. Visa and MasterCard said, hey, we're going to not uh, supporting transactions that come out of Russia. By the way, how close is Russia to the United States? This is a trivia question. Very close. Two or three miles. Yeah, it's 50-some miles. It's like 53 miles uh, up there in Alaska. And what's interesting, a, a member of the Russian parliament stood up and said, we want Alaska back. They sold it to us. Anybody remember how much they sold it to us for? A few cents an acre, I think. Yeah, but what was the total price? Anybody remember? Uh, one and a half million? Uh, I can't remember exactly, but I think Louisiana was like the $7 million purchase or something. Alaska but was, there was, uh, Yeah, it was, Alaska was cheaper, but I think, but I'm not sure. Yeah, interesting trivia. But anyway, Russia said, hey, we want it back. And uh, I don't know that that'll ever happen. But there is much going on that lays the groundwork for uh, potentially 
a identification, a single global currency, and a single religious system, which is already in place, a system that proclaims science, proclaims medicine as its uh, god, and uh, unfortunately has no solid backing in terms of truth, but just moves with whatever they want to do. Um, this has uh, been demonstrated and pushed through in two countries in the world so far. They've gone to the next step. And those two countries are Australia and New Zealand have implemented, if anybody's paid any attention, they implemented a, a much str more stringent level of control because of COVID, including camps where they took people out of society and put them into camps and isolated them behind guarded, uh, fenced-in areas uh, on the basis of a public health order. Does anybody else remember when that happened other times in history on the basis of a public health order? The Where? The Holocaust? Yeah. You know that to remove Jews from German society was done on the basis of they carried disease and vermin and DNA problems, and they were to be isolated because it affected the health of Germany. They had posters showing examples of Jewish people and how they were supposedly inferior and diseased, and they, that was part of the basis of removing them from society. What you find in history is that Satan's really good at repeating the same old thing. He has really nothing new up his sleeve. Uh, California, interestingly enough, is going the way of those two nations. And uh, some things that even as we've seen uh, the change in what requirements are out there, here are one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten. Ten laws that are coursing their way through California's uh, government to be brought forward and very likely could be signed. So these are 10 things that are on the horizon right now in California. Authorize a minor 12 years of age or older to consent to vaccines, medical treatments without parental knowledge or consent. Mandate children be immunized with COVID-19 vaccine in order to attend school, daycare, and remove the personal belief exemption for any ad additional vaccine requirements added by the California Department of Health. Authorize the medical board to inspect a doctor's office and patient records without a patient's consent. Authorize a healthcare provider or service plan to disclose your child's medical information to a school-linked services coordinator without parental consent, circumventing HIPAA and FERPA laws. Prohibit harmful content on social media, media, expanding existing law to include libel or slander against government entities and disinformation or misinformation regarding medicine or vaccination, elections, or, and conspiracy theories. Require sheriffs and, police and peace officers to enforce public health orders and prohibit state funds from being provided to any law enforcement agency that publicly announces it will oppose a public health order. 
mandate schools to continue COVID testing and report information to the department. Create one statewide California immunization registry tracking system for all vaccines to be entered into the California Immunization Registry, C-A-I-R. Schools and other entities would have access to all vaccine records rather than just those of their students and patients and the particular vaccine required for school. Require an employer to require each employee or independent contractor who is eligible to receive the vaccine. It allows for medical and religious exemption. Allow the medical board to take action of doctors and strip them of their license if they promote information deemed misinformation related to COVID-19. And you say, well, but what's the harm in that? You know, we all need to be safe and, you know, we all need to believe what the so government tells us. What's truth? What's truth? What is truth? The great question that Jesus asked Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? Where do you find truth in the world? God's word. God's word. God says it's all coming. God says this is coming. There is the Antichrist will be able to exert power on people that you will no longer be able to buy or sell anything without a mark. You say, well, how can that happen? How did a government convince people to put their neighbors into concentration camps and send them to Auschwitz, Dachau, to kill six million people who were your neighbors, your friends? How did they convince them to do that? Do you realize that if a public health order said all Christians and Jews should be terminated, the way the law is presented right now to be put out, if it comes under the auspice of a public health order, which is nowhere in its constitution, it's not in California's constitution, has no constitutional basis, excuse me, and the Supreme Court has already said it's not constitutional for this to happen, but California presses on. And as California goes, what's the old saying? So goes the nation. So goes the world. This is what's happened. So those are all just little insulate, you know, and whatever you think about a vaccine or whichever vaccine or anything else, you think, well, that's no big deal because, you know, it's all need to be safe or whatever. Uh, what's safe? What's safe? My God says he knows the number of our days before we ever conceived. My God knows what will kill me before I ever do. I trust God. I'm not worried what man can do to me. I trust God. But the day they order... And they say, you're going to take out a segment of our society. How about World War II in the Japanese internment camps? You ever been there? You can go up there out of uh, Nevada. You can go to the one, walk through, see the... It was ridiculous. What are we doing? But that's just on someone's idea. Someone's determination. Someone, King George. Again to eliminate the protest, even though it's interesting because as time has gone on, all the things which they claimed were misinformation, the majority of those have actually turned out to be pretty true. And yet, would we offer our kids on the altar, kids who don't even um, have a susceptibility to the COVID, we're going to offer them up did anybody read the 10,000 pages that came out of the CDC 
that were released from Pfizer. Did anybody read those? They're all the uh, effects uh, that were determined. It was the information they wanted to sequester until 2097, that it would not be released till 2097. You say, what's the big deal? Read it. If you saw what I see, when I go on coroner's cases, and you see what's going on, you see there's something else going on here. You see that there's an agenda, but I'm not scared about it because I see God's word. And I see what has to happen before Christ comes back in final judgment. The great thing is, is the closer we get, that means it's closer for Christ calling us home. It's Christ returning to call his church, to call his people away. And he's not done with Israel. There's a lot that happens. And after the rapture, what's interesting is that Christ, uh, his work in Israel, there is a huge revival and a huge amount of people in Israel come to Christ. They know there's a God, but then the next step is they accept Christ as Messiah. Uh, the future would look cloudy without Christ as our hope. But with Christ, we don't need to be afraid. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Love, power, and a sound mind, or power, love, and a sound mind, however you want to put it together. There's much going on. There's much to watch. Uh, there's much in our world. For me, it's exciting, but it reminds me that we need to be in God's word. It means we, reminds me that we need to understand uh, God's word and the prophecy. He's already told us. He's already laid out for us. Uh, let me look at uh, Zechariah. Uh, this is Zechariah 12, uh, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family by itself, the house of the family of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, that family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by himself, all the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. They shall look upon whom they pierced, he whom they pierced. Where did that happen? The one they pierced. Yeah, yeah. And, and did God ever tell us about the crucifixion before we got to the crucifixion? Yeah. Where? Old Testament. Where? Mm, yeah, a little bit. 
Where else? How about the direct quote of what Jesus said while he was on the cross? When he who knew no sin became sin for us. Genesis. Huh? Genesis. No? No? A direct quote. Psalms. Yeah, what, what psalm? Oh. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear it in the night season and am not silent, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you, were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Another direct quote of what the people were saying around Jesus on the cross. He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. And you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is as wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up as a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet i can count all my bones they look and they stare at me they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots but you O lord do not be far from me O my strength hasten to help me deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. That passage is an absolute perfect picture of the body in crucifixion and the bones out of joint and his heart melted. Remember when he was pierced with the sword? What came out? Water and blood mixed is the water that encircles the heart in the pericardium. Uh, mixed with the torn fiber, the blood from the heart, and flowed out of Christ, that sword reached into a broken heart, a heart that was broken for us, a body that was broken for us that we remember. By the way, next week it will be con communion. God's word does not stand alone on any single verse. What's amazing is from Genesis to Revelation, it's his story for us. It's his love for us. It's the gospel wrapped up in God's dealing with Israel, in God's dealing with humanity, God's dealing with sin, and God's deliverance from sin for us to understand. The things that we read and the things that we studied over the past weeks about Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's amazing stuff when you see it in the picture of the world and what's happening right now in our world around us. It's amazing when you understand God's prophecy and you see things coming into alignment that have never been that make possible what we read 
in, in, in the exact nations that will be involved and who will do what and where they'll go. It's amazing to see this, but what it reminds me is that God's in charge, is that God knows exactly what's going on. God has his hand on it. God has never been woken up by an angel and said, hey, you got to get down there. Something's wrong on the earth. Is as bad as we think things are, as much as we see the turbulence and we see the unrest, we see the lack of peace, is remember that we have been given as children of God, God's peace. We've been given a peace that passes understanding. Anxiety doesn't need to be part of our world. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with... Thanksgiving. Oh, thanks. What is that? What is Thanksgiving? But wait, I have too many things going wrong in my life. My car tires are flat. I'm out of money. I don't have gas. Gas is $5.90 a gallon. What am I going to do? We, we have so many little things that get into our world and get into our minds and slow us down. We need to remember who's in charge. We need to remember whose children we are and who takes care of us. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes understanding is what God will give us, what God will provide for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the opportunity to dig through Ezekiel. Um, so much here, so much that we could spend weeks on, months on. And yet, Lord, we're just going to leave it right here. And we're going to let your Holy Spirit do the work from here. Uh, we've seen, we've read, we've seen the uh, tentacles uh, stretching out through the rest of your word. Uh, we've seen your promises. Uh, you've never failed once in anything you've promised and anything you have provided. Lord, um, remind us to trust you. Remind us to keep our eyes and our hearts set on you. Remind us uh, that you're in charge. Remind us that, that fear is not our friend, that we don't need to be afraid. Lord, remind us that you are a refuge, a very present help in a time of trouble. Remind us that we can find that solid rock to stand on as David said, out of the miry clay, you lifted him up and you put his feet on a rock. As Joshua, the high priest, found out in Zechariah, is that you washed him clean. You, you took away those dirty clothes. You gave him a clean robe and you stood in his defense. You stood because you had paid the price. You had played, paid the complete price and the accuser had lost all grip, all traction to come against him. Lord, remind us that we too are in that place. You have taken away our righteousness, which was nothing but filthy rags, and you have given us your name. You have called us by your name. You have clothed us in your glory. You have given us an opportunity to live in your power, to experience your salvation, to carry an abundant life with us through this life into eternity by your presence and your salvation. Lord, let us never take that for granted. Keep our eyes set on you. Keep our hearts set on you. Keep the enemy far away, Lord. Uh, keep our armor strong, your armor, your word strong in our hearts. Give us a hunger for your word that exceeds the hunger for food that we have every day, Lord. Let us find refuge in your word. Let us find the lamp that is a light unto our feet and the path that we will walk on. Lord, I pray that you would continue to guide us. I lift up 
those, uh, Lord, that we've uh, already mentioned today who are suffering illnesses and have the uncertainty of uh, doctor's appointments ahead and not knowing what tomorrow holds. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. You said don't worry about it because we have enough trouble in today as it is. And we can trust you and we're going to count on that. Lord, help us to accept your will. Help us to depend on you. Help us to find a refuge in the storm. Pray you would just uh, give grace uh, where we need grace, Lord. And that you would uh, lift up those who are not with us. Uh, just keep your hand upon them. Give the doctors wisdom in each case, Lord. Show yourself mighty. You already have. But Lord, continue to do so. And let us give you the praise and honor each day. May you bring to mind uh, throughout our week, Lord, those who need prayer, those who need to be lifted up before the throne of grace. Remind us that we have that opportunity as uh, children of God to approach the throne of grace to come boldly before you and to ask and to know that you hear and to know that you receive our request. And Lord, let us be faithful in that. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together today. And I pray that you would just continue to watch over us in the days ahead. Uh, Lord, as the world turns uh, creakily on its axis and uh, things just seem to be out of sorts everywhere around us, remind us, that you're still God, you're still in control, we can still trust you, and you still will do what you said you'll do. Thank you for our time together. Pray that you would be honored and glorified in our lives as we walk out of this place, that we would find you sufficient in all measures. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.